Thank you, Matthew. You may be seated. Thank you, team, for leading us in worship. And good morning, friends. Wonderful to uh, be with you here and worship the Lord this morning. And uh, I want to begin by uh, bringing you uh, greetings from Jamaica. And I did this in the uh, service in the auditorium last week, but uh, Susan and I uh, were privileged to go with Gary and Marty Crawford from uh, our church family. Many of you know them who are uh, directors of uh, global work in the Caribbean. And so we were blessed to go and participate in a, a special uh, aspect of what is known as the Open Initiative in Jamaica. And if you've been with us uh, many months, you know that that was part of our uh, global conference back in February, that uh, we are, as a church, uh, desiring to be very intentional and in working with some partners in the Caribbean for cross-cultural uh, ministry in that region. And we had uh, Devin Linton, a pastor, his wife, Patricia, that were with us, and I was able to spend some time, uh, Susan and I were, with them and see what God is doing. And then we were able to be a part of a very unique uh, gathering a couple of weeks ago uh, today. And that was as three churches came together in a triad uh, to commission uh, 12 of their own to be intentional on mission across culturally uh, there in that region of Jamaica. And the Caribbean has had now about a million and a half people who've moved into the area from Asia, from predominantly Muslim Hindu countries, and uh, incredible opportunities. So we were blessed to be there, and I was thankful to be able to speak in that service. And it was really a somewhat of a historic moment. And we look forward to this uh, partnership continuing. We're planning some additional mission trips down there. And Perhaps some of you here over the next uh, year or so might be involved in one of those outreaches. It was uh, really tremendous. And so we're excited about this partnership and the open initiative. And they've asked me to uh, send you thanks and greetings. And so I'm doing that this morning. It was also good, as Susan and I, to uh, spend a few extra days. We went to uh, a resort there in Jamaica and celebrated our 45th wedding anniversary. And uh, thank you, okay, very patient woman, and uh, you know, I'd, I'd never been to one of these all-inclusive resorts before, and I mean, I mean, within a few hours, you think you are somebody, I want you to know that, it, it, was, it was amazing, uh, and as a matter of fact, I got a little bit of trouble because I was just not used to people serving me, you know, I'd get up and go get a sandwich, go get up and go get a drink for Susan, and Finally, they, they corrected us and said, you know, there's only two things that we can't do for you here. We can't go to the bathroom for you, and we can't get in the water for you, okay? Other than that, we do it all. So that's fine, okay? I don't deny you the blessing of that. And so I just let people be blessed like crazy in doing that. But we had a, a wonderful time uh, celebrating our 45th anniversary and I was thinking, you know, we, we dated for a few years before that. Actually, our, our first date was in 1971. That's 52 years ago. 
And just so you know, I, we were in junior high, okay? Nothing weird going on there. Uh, in junior high, and uh, that's 52 years that we've known together. What a love story. I'm so grateful for Susan. And uh, you see her, uh, her birthday is on Tuesday, so you can wish her a happy birthday. Okay, where is she? There she is. Okay. All right. You would like me to say how many birthdays, honey, it's been? No. Okay. We won't. Okay. All right. We'll, we'll just pass on that. Okay. But uh, really, really a treasure, uh, Susan. And we're talking about love this morning. And so I'm going to ask you to turn, if you would, to the passage uh, Matthew read, Romans chapter 14. And we're going to be discussing the power of love as it compels us and, and controls us. And if you're our guest this morning, we've been in a study in the letter of Romans in the Bible for a number of months. So we've made a few uh, times away for some special focus, but God's brought us through this great uh, letter, and over the next couple of weeks, we'll be uh, bringing this to a conclusion. Lord willing, in August, we're going to have a teaching time that focuses on a family relationship, so we're looking forward to that. And then, Lord willing, after that, in September and into the fall, we'll have a, a series of focused messages and teaching from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. So, looking forward to that. But the Lord has so much to share with us here in this passage about how we live out this gospel. And I'm sure by now you're acquainted with Romans enough to know that chapters 1 through 11 are about the glorious truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the power of God and salvation, and what the Lord has done for us through his redeeming love in Christ. Absolutely amazing. But then beginning in chapter 12, Paul begins to challenge us to gospel living, not just gospel receiving, but how do we live out this gospel? And we live it out by the power of the Holy Spirit who has shed abroad in our hearts the love of God. And we live this life of following God's will in love. And in chapters 12 and 13, you see Paul begins to challenge us about living out this life of the gospel in love. And in chapter 14, he comes to the subject of how we love each other even when we disagree. Did you hear that in one of the songs that we sang earlier? Lord, send me, even when it means <laughs> to love others even when we disagree. And newsflash, I want you to know from time to time, Christians have been known to disagree. Isn't that amazing? But how do we disagree within the bounds of the love of Jesus Christ? That's what Paul is challenging these believers about in Romans. Who, these believers who've come from such diverse backgrounds, such radically different histories and ethnicities brought together in this new community of faith in Jesus how do you live out life when you maybe have some disagreements of how that life should be lived? And Paul, by the Holy Spirit, is addressing this in chapter 14. 
Well, as I said here earlier, Susan and I have been married for 45 years, and it is actually this month 43 years uh, since I entered uh, the ministry. So it was in July of 1980 that I joined the staff of Calvary Baptist Church uh, in Findlay, Ohio. And so for 43 years now, I've been in ministry. And over those 43 years, I've had a, a wonderful privilege of conducting a number of weddings. I wish I had kept it count. I didn't. But I know it's probably somewhere in 250 to 300 weddings uh, that I have conducted over the years. And it's an incredible privilege. But weddings are unique in, in sometimes some of the moments that happen. And there's, there is a, a moment in every wedding service that I perform that's it's really powerful, but sometimes it can be a little tricky. And it's when you come to the exchanging of the rings. Exchanging of the rings. And I always say the same thing. Ever let your wedding ring remind you of this hour and the privileges and the duties that you assume. Ever let your wedding ring remind you of this hour and the duties and the privileges that you now assume. And of course, there's the exchanging of the vows and they exchange the rings. And it's a little tricky because palms are sweaty, you know, and trying to hold on to the little ring and uh, hands are shaking a little bit. And sometimes I don't know what happens to ring size during engagement, all right? But the ring just won't go on. And so I've had, I've, sometimes I thought there's going to be a broken finger here in this wedding service. So I tell people, it doesn't go on. We're going to have prayer during the prayer. Just slip it on, okay? But that ring, exchanging of the ring, is a very important moment. The ring says two things. It's a, a ring that testifies of the love, but it says two things. The ring says, I am free and I am limited. It says both. This love that my spouse and I are pledging to each other and it is evidenced by the giving and receiving of rings these rings testify that I am free. I now am free to fully enjoy this new, amazing relationship with this one that the Lord has given to me. I am free. However, I'm limited. The love that I have pledged to her or to him is to guide my life. And at times that love causes me to live in limitations. I'm not limited by law. I'm living limited by love. And that is exactly what Paul is saying here in Romans chapter 14. He is celebrating with these people that they are free in Jesus Christ. And they are free from all of the legalistic traditions that had gone before, whether that was from Judaism or from paganism and all of its suspicions. They have a love relationship that set them free 
But now that love also is to limit how they live. I am free in Christ. But because of the love I have for Christ and the love that's in my heart for my brothers and sisters, I limit myself by that love. And so this morning, here's what I'd like us to think about for a few minutes. I want us to see the limitations of love. As a free people, free in Christ, let's make sure we hear how the Lord tells us to be limited, not by law, but by the greatest of all authority, and that is love. Now, there are three limitations. If you listen carefully as Matthew was reading from this passage, there are three limitations that love places upon us as believers in our interaction with others. And I want us to look at these this morning. The first one is this. Notice in verse 13, love limits our condemnation. Love limits our condemnation of others. Verse 13, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide, and the word decide there is the same word for judgment. Let's make this judgment never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of another believer, in the way of another brother. Now, this statement goes along with Paul's challenge back in verse 1. Do you remember how he started this subject? Verse 1, As for one who is weak in the faith, that is not yet strong and mature in the faith, welcome them into the relationship of fellowship, but don't bring them in for the purpose of arguing, quarreling over opinions. He's saying we have to be very careful that we do not enter into a relationship with people that's really guided by judgment. So in verses 13 through 15, notice here, the Lord gives us two commandments about judging. In my experience, a lot of people misunderstand judging because we immediately think of judge not that you be not judged. We know Jesus said that. But somehow that gets translated, meaning you should never pass any judgment. Well, that doesn't make sense because God has revealed his truth so that we can make righteous judgments, right? We have to make judgments. So when the Lord says that we need to be careful about judging here, what is he talking about? Well, there's a judgment we must not make, and there's a judgment we must make, okay? Notice here, there's a judgment we must not make. Verse 13, therefore let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. This doesn't mean that we don't make decisions or we don't make good evaluations. What is being forbidden here when we're forbidden to judge another? Two kinds of judging that we are not to make, all right? We are not to be hypercritical in our judgment. Some people 
can have just a judgmental spirit. They are constantly evaluating for the sake of criticism. It, it, it appears that they have everybody under electron microscope to see if they are behaving as they, quote-unquote, ought to behave. That is a hypercritical spirit, and the Bible condemns that. There's another kind of judging that is condemned. Not just hypercritical judgment, judging, but also hypocritical judging. Hypocritical judging. When you put a higher standard on someone else than you do yourself. What is it that Jesus said? What did he say? He said, how is it that you see the speck in your brother's eye and you don't see the pole in your own eye? What does he say to do? First, remove the pole. Deal with the sin in your own life. Then you will be able to see clearly to help your brother or sister with that speck that may be in their life. It is hypocritical for us to put a standard upon others higher than we do for ourselves. That's a judgment we're not to make. But here's a judgment that we are to make. We must make. And Paul uses the words here, judge. And he uses the idea of judge yourself. There's a play on words here. Notice, he says this. He says, don't judge one another, but rather decide. Make this judgment not to put a stumbling block in the path of another is the idea. He goes on to say beyond this notice, I know and I'm persuaded in the Lord that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love by what you eat. Do not destroy, don't tear down the one for whom Christ died. Now here is a judgment that we must make. We make it on ourselves that we are not going in our freedom put something in front of a brother or sister that will cause them to stumble, that will be grievous to them. We do that out of a motivation of love. We make that kind of decision on ourselves. And just in case we didn't get the point, guess what Paul does? He repeats himself, okay? Look at verses 20 and 21. He almost repeats himself. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything in, is indeed clean, but it is wrong to anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Now, I want to make sure that we understand the lesson here, okay? So let's, let's pause and focus. Make sure you understand what Paul is saying. And here's a key point. Some things are inherently neutral that are not morally neutral. Some things are inherently neutral that are not 
morally neutral. Now, some things are wrong. Why are they wrong? Not because society says they're wrong or the latest poll says they're wrong. Things are right or wrong determined by God, who is the one who tells us what is right, what is wrong. It is not moral relativism. It is morality that is defined by our Creator, Redeemer, our Heavenly Father. Some things are wrong. And when God says they're wrong, that's where we need to take our stand. When God says they're right, that's where we need to take our stand. As I said last week in the auditorium, I've seen many times the bumper sticker, and I appreciate the sentiment in it, but I'd like to clarify it a little bit, if I might, in my very humble but accurate opinion, okay? It's this. The bumper sticker says, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. I understand and appreciate the sentiment, but here's what we need to understand. If God said it, that settles it. Whether you believe it or not, if God said it clearly that something is right, it's right. If God says something is wrong, it's wrong. That settles it. However, that's not what Paul is dealing with here. There are some things which are inherently neutral, but they're not morally neutral. Now, let me give you an illustration if I can. Let's talk about a flag. A flag is inherently neutral. It's just fabric that's been sewn together. It's inherently neutral. But does that mean it's morally neutral? What if it's an American flag? How does that affect you? What if it's a Nazi flag? Inherently, it's neutral. It's just fabric. But it's not morally neutral because that flag represents something. So in Paul's day, he says the same thing about food. He references here meat, okay? He says meat is inherently neutral. <laughs> but that doesn't mean it's morally neutral when it comes to our interactions with brothers and sisters. Remember what's going on here. There are people who are strong Christians. Maybe they have a Jewish background. They've been delivered from any limitations to their diet. But there are some Christians who have a background and they're younger, they're, they're growing, but they're still sensitive about issues of non-kosher food. Or you have people who were saved out of paganism they know this meat was offered to the God, but they know there's no God but Jehovah, and they are strong, and they eat this meat that's offered. But some other Christian, who is also a believer in Jesus, he remembers things about paganism. He remembers, or she remembers things about the former life associated with that, and is yet struggling to complete maturity and freedom. 
This is what Paul is talking about. The issue is not meat, though. The issue is anything which, yes, it may be free to us as believers. It's inherently neutral, but it may not be morally neutral when it comes to how it impacts our brothers and sisters in Christ. Let me give you an example of this. But before I do, let me make one clarification here. There are some people who I will just call them legalistic killjoys, okay? They're legalistic, and they want everybody to behave just like they behave and have the same standards that they have. And if they see someone who's behaving or doing freely something that they wouldn't do or enjoying something they wouldn't enjoy, it doesn't meet their code, they just get upset about it and they say, that offends me. That offends me. But don't you see, that's not what this passage is talking about. The person being offended here is a weaker brother. A sincere, weaker brother. It's not a legalistic brother that says, hey, I'm going to use this verse for weaker brothers to get what I want done. <laughs> See what? That's, that's legalism. And that is practice in the church. We're not talking about legalism here where someone wants their man-made code to be enforced on somebody else because they have an issue about it. That's not what Paul is talking about here. What he is talking about is Christians who are strong in the faith. An issue comes up that is a struggle for some of their brothers and sisters who are weaker in the faith. And they are reminded that in Christ, they are their brother's keeper. You know what the first question in the Bible is asked by a human being? Am I my brother's keeper? That's what Cain asked God after he'd killed his brother. Am I my brother's keeper? And friend, the answer to that is yes, you are. In Christ, we are our brother and our sister's keeper. And because of our love for them, we're not going to be self-centered we're willing to sacrifice. We're willing to adjust for the sake of the one who's weaker. Now to the illustration. I was reading about this this week. During World War II, there were thousands and thousands of convoys of ships that crossed from the United States over to Europe. Thousands of them. Do you know how fast those convoys of ships could go? They could go as fast as the slowest vessel. They could go as fast as the slowest vessel. The faster vessels slowed down their speed. Even though they could go much more quickly, they slowed down in order to stay together and protect themselves against the enemy, especially to protect those vessels who could not keep up. 
And friends, listen to me. As we grow stronger in the faith, we can't just sail off on our own. We just can't sail off and say, hey, I've got my journey, and if somebody can't keep up, they can't keep up. If they're not free, they're not free. That's not love speaking. That's selfishness speaking. We are willing in love to adjust our pace, to adjust our freedom in order to care for our weaker brother or sister in Jesus Christ. And if we are not willing to do that, if we have an attitude that says, listen, I'm free about this, and I don't care what anybody thinks about it, that is not a Christ-centered, loving attitude. Love limits our condemnation. <laughs> we pass judgment on ourselves first. I will not cause my freedom, allow my freedom to be a cause of stumbling for my weaker brother or sister. Now here's the second thing that love limits. Love limits our conduct. Love limits our conduct. Paul says, not only does love limit our freedom, but it also limits our conduct, especially as our witness to the world. Okay? Listen to him in verse 16. Here he's shifting a little bit to include not just brothers and sisters in Christ, but also that we limit our freedom for the sake of testimony. Verse 16. So do not let what you regard as good to be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of of eating and drinking. No, the kingdom of God is about something much more important. Righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ with this attitude is acceptable to God and approved by men. Whoever does this is acceptable to God, approved by men in testimony, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutually upbuilding one another. Now notice, Paul is teaching us here that our attitude regarding our freedom can either be a terrible witness or it can be a tremendous witness. It can be a terrible witness, or it can be a tremendous witness. And added, what are some attitudes which are a terrible witness to the world? What are some of those attitudes? Well, when there is a selfish display of liberty. We don't care what other people think. There's just a selfish display of our liberty, and we're not going to change. Let me give you... Uh, somewhat humorous, but I think appropriate illustration of this. Three or four years ago, rather than having vacation Bible school here on site, uh, we made a decision to have vacation Bible school over at the, the park some, uh, off of Lonis Road. And then also uh, we had it uh, over at the, the Pines, and we also 
uh, had another uh, vacation Bible school as well, Nature's Cove. Well, with this vacation Bible school, uh, after a little while, there was a break for food for the kids, okay? So we're having vacation Bible school at the Pines, and the first night we have lunch uh, provided, a meal provided, and it's hot dogs. But we didn't realize there's 47 Muslim families living in the Pines. <laughs> and so we have these wonderful mothers that, who've been watching come out and say, and tell their kids, don't do that. Why? Because this hot dog would not be acceptable to them because of their belief system. So, what did we do as a result of that? Well, of course, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we said, listen, there's nothing to that. We're going to have hot dogs every night. We're free to eat hot dogs. We're not going to be limited by not eating. No. We said, no, we are not going to be a stumbling block to these people. We will change the menu for the sake of the gospel. And that was a very important decision, and God honored that. You see, when we selfishly insist on our liberty, we can be hindering our testimony. We have to be thinking about how our liberty is understood by those who we are on mission to reach for Christ. There was a church in Indiana that I know about. And that church started dividing over a non-issue. Something came up in the church which was not a biblical issue. It was just an issue of personal opinions. And the church divided over that issue to the point where that church split. Terrible. But after a few years, God's Spirit moved in one of those congregations. And people began to repent of how their congregation was formed and their broken relationship with their brothers and sisters in Christ in the other church. And they went and they began to confess their sins to God and then go and confess to their other brothers and sisters. And guess what? Revival broke out in that church. And do you know what those two congregations did? They took an offering and took out a full-page ad in the newspaper apologizing to the community, repenting for their divisiveness and saying that they wanted to be a united testimony of the love of Christ. Now, I want to tell you, that's God's stuff. That's God's stuff. Which do you think made a greater impact on that community? People saying... Our liberty, our liberty, are people saying, oh no, our love and devotion to our Savior is more important. The greatest testimony of the gospel is not your exclamation of liberty, it's your example of love. What did Jesus say? By this, 
all people will know that you're my disciples because of the way you live totally free by your own conscience. Is that what he said? No. By this shall all people know you're my disciples if you love one another. Those are attitudes which make for a tremendous testimony. The attitude of love. Verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. You see, the work of God in people's lives is not expressed primarily in the externals, though it is. It is expressed primarily by the eternals. <laughs> the eternals. What's eternal? Righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. These things are timeless qualities. They are qualities that are produced by the Holy Spirit. Because we've been made righteous in Christ. We desire to live righteous lives. We hunger and thirst after righteousness because we are righteous, not in order to become righteous. We have peace. We have the inner calm in our heart. The world may be swirling around us. Our, our life may be completely upside down. As it, in the life of a fellow pastor that I talked with and prayed with last night, his life is completely turned out upside down. He's in the darkness Physically, emotionally, I know exactly how he feels. But in the midst of that, there's a peace that surpasses all understanding. And there's joy. Joy in the Holy Spirit. Many years ago, a man was walking past Buckingham Palace. He was a children's worker, Sunday schools in the city. And he looked up and he saw the standard of the King of England flying over Buckingham Palace. You see, you always know where the king is. Because whatever building the king is, over wherever, whichever castle he's in, the standard of the king always flies on the flag, flagpole. And a thought came to this man, and he wrote a song for the children in the city Sunday schools. And here's what it says. Joy is the flag flying high in the castle of the heart when the king is in residence there. Joy is the flag flying high in the castle of my heart when the king is in residence there. What are eternal qualities that we're to be concerned about? Our personal freedoms? No, more than that. Righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. What a powerful witness that is. What a tremendous witness. And I want you to note one more limitation as we close. Love limits our condemnation. Love limits our conduct. And then Paul says, love limits our conscience. Love limits our conscience. When I was growing up, I used to love to watch the Walt Disney show. <laughs> I loved it. 
It caused a little problem in our house because the Walt Disney show came on at 6 p.m. And evening church started at 7 p.m. <laughs> and guess where mom and dad started tugging and pulling about 25 after 6? It's time to go to church. About that time, I'm right in the middle of Disney, and I'm, I'm griping and complaining. But I remember the little spokesperson on the television show for Walt Disney was Jiminy Cricket. And he had a song that he would sing, Always let your conscience be your guide. Always let your conscience be your guide. And you know, the Lord affirms that if you have a Christian conscience under the control of the Holy Spirit. Let your conscience be your guide. Now, what is conscience? What is conscience? One time I, I heard about this little girl. She was asked by her Sunday school teacher, what is a conscience? And she said, well, I'm not exactly sure, but I think it has something to do with the way I feel after I kick my brother in the shins. <laughs> what is conscience? Conscience is your moral compass. It's the moral compass within us. Everyone has a conscience as an Im image bearer of God. But when we are saved by the grace of God, our conscience begins to be transformed by the Spirit of God. It begins to be informed by the Word of God. And as my conscience is being transformed by the Spirit of God, and my conscience is being informed by the Word of God, then it becomes a reliable guide for my behavior. You see? Now Paul has some very strong things to say about the conscience. In regard to our personal liberty. And here's what he says. He gives advice to believers who have a strong conscience. He gives advice to believers who have a strong conscience. That is, they are mature believers in Jesus. And he says there's two things that you should not do. If you're a mature believer in Jesus, two things that you should not do. Number one, don't flaunt your freedom. Don't flaunt your freedom. Look at verse 22. Paul says it this way. The faith, the faith here is not saving faith. It's the confidence you have about your belief regarding something. The confidence that you have, keep it between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. He says, how blessed is the person who in private, his freedom is affirmed by his conscience. He's, his conscience does not indicate that he's wrong. Paul says here, though, don't flaunt your freedom. Make it a private matter, not a pride matter. Our liberty is a private matter primarily. It's not a pride matter that we flaunt. And then Paul says, don't fake your freedom. Don't flaunt your freedom. Don't fake your freedom. Notice verse 23. But whoever has doubts is condemned. He judges himself if he eats. 
Because eating is not from faith. It's not from a faith-filled conscience. For whatever does not proceed from a confidence of your conscience, that is sin. Now, I want to give you an illustration, and I'll be very careful to explain it to you to make sure that I'm not misheard. But I think it's a very important and helpful illustration. A number of years ago, Susan and I were out at a restaurant. And while we were eating, I saw some folks come to a table, cross the restaurant, sit down. They're, they are part of our church family. So I, they didn't see us. I, we saw them. And so I, at some time during the meal, said to Susan, I'm going to go over there. I'm going to say hi to so-and-so. So I went over there. I approached the table. I do not know what they were drinking. I don't care what they were drinking. But when the man looked up and saw me coming, it was like this. Oh, oh Pastor Sam, how are you? It's good to see you, Pastor Sam. I didn't see you over there. And he just covered up. And I figured out, okay, what's going on? So I just stayed a while. No, no, I really didn't, okay? I, just, I didn't hang out too long. But I gave my greeting and I moved on. Now, later that week, the man called me and said, Pastor Sam, I need to apologize to you. I said, what do you need to apologize? I need to apologize to you for what I was drinking. And here's when I said, brother, you don't have to apologize to me. I don't know what you were drinking. I don't care what you were drinking. It doesn't matter to me. I don't think uh, you're sinning because of what you're drinking. The Bible condemns drunkenness. I'm not going to condemn you, but I think you do need to ask yourself why you responded that way. When I walk up, what would cause you to respond that way? Is your conscience clear? You see, that's the, the issue. It's not a right or wrong. It's was not sinful at all. But what's wrong is if we're flaunting a fake freedom. Because, friend, I want you to know, at every meal, there's an unseen guest. And at every conversation, there's an unseen listener. And everything that you attend, wherever you go, someone is there. And it's much higher that person than my pay grade, I'll guarantee you that. Blessed is the man who doesn't condemn himself in what he approves. If you have freedom about it, enjoy that freedom, but make sure you're really free. Next, here's advice to believers with a weak conscience. And we close with this. Advice to believers with a weak conscience, that is, immature Christians. Don't violate your conscience. Verse 23, but whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. Again, it's not from a faith-filled conscience. For whatever does not flow from a free conscience, faith, is sin. You see, the Holy Spirit directs through our conscience. 
Therefore, anything that I don't have a faith-filled conscience about, I should not violate my conscience. Whether I see a verse of Scripture about it or not, if my conscience is not clear before the Lord, I need to respond to my conscience as guidance from the Lord. We need to let that truth set in. Make sure our conscience is clear, but make sure we understand how this could affect our relationships. If we do something to please people, you have a clear conscience about that? If we do something to fit in, I don't know that I really want to do it, but I just got to fit in here. I mean, this is part of the business. And it's expected of me. I'm not, I'm not good with it, but I need to fit in. Or everybody's doing it. Everybody here in the room's doing it. All, everyone, all my friends are talking about it. I'm not, I'm not free about it, but everybody else is, so I, I don't want to be unpopular. Or I give in because I'm pressured. Someone keeps saying, I need to do this, I need to do this. But within me, I, I don't feel like I'm a free, but I, I let this person guide me rather than the Spirit guide me. The Bible says if you do not, cannot do something with a clear conscience before the Lord, it is sin. Keep your conscience clear. There may be many people we want to please. And there's nothing inherently wrong with wanting to be pleasing to people as we are able. But we must always put the one person that absolutely we must please. And that is the one who died and rose again for our salvation. Friends, this is love. This is, this is love. This is a legalism. This is the greatest power, the greatest influence in any person's life is love. Love changes everything. Love God. Love people. That's how we impact the world. How do you do what God wants you to do? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Do that, and you'll fulfill the law. Let's bow our heads. Just before we sing, let's examine our hearts. Even as I preach this morning, the Lord has examined my heart. Even as I've tried to share faithfully His Word, the Lord's brought things to my mind that I believe I need to address. And how about you, my brother, my sister? Let's not flaunt our freedom. Let's not fake our freedom. But let's be focused in our freedom to judge this, that we will not put a stumbling block in anybody's way. 
And that my life will not be about temporary issues that don't matter, but I want my life to be about righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. And dear friend, I want you to know you are loved with an everlasting love. For God so loved the world, He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loves you. Jesus loves you. And His outstretched arms on the cross for you are the outstretched arms of love. All the Father gives me, Jesus said, shall come to me. And the one that comes to me, I will never cast him out. Friend, you will never, never have Jesus Close his arms to you if you come to him in repentance and faith. And I pray you will do that today. And Lord, I pray now in prayer that you will direct our thoughts upward and outward. Remove from us, Lord, this self-centeredness, this self-focus that is part of our old nature. Renew us, Lord, in the new man, the new woman, that we are through Jesus Christ, that we may walk as Jesus walked, full of grace and truth, ever speaking the truth, but doing it in love. Lord God, make us a people that will impact the world by lovingly sharing the truth, submitting ourselves to others, for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to do this in the power of the resurrected one, Jesus Christ. We sing to him now in his name. And God's people said, Amen.